Welcome to Beyond the Petri Dish, a podcast where we dive deep into the captivating realm of clinical laboratory medicine and explore the impacts of our work beyond the lab bench. Join our hosts, Aaron Odegaard, a veteran laboratory scientist and aspiring stage actor with a heart of gold, Heather Nutting, an experienced clinical microbiologist with a wealth of knowledge and not so subpar human, and Kyle McGee, scientist, scholar, inventor, and Skeeter's dad, as we uncover hidden stories from the lab, discuss the latest innovations within the field, and connect the dots between our work and the broader world of healthcare. In this episode, we discuss an ethical dilemma in healthcare, recent CMS changes, and share some infection control stories. Please remember that the thoughts, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and do not represent our employers, organizations, committees, or other entities. Whether you're a fellow lab professional, a healthcare enthusiast, or simply curious about the science behind the scenes, there's something here for everyone. So join us as we journey beyond, beyond the Petri dish. Okay, are we ready for Aaron's joke? Okay, how much room do you give a fungus? How much? As much room as possible. <laughs> Mushroom? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Aaron, you really hyped that one up. Really hyped uh, it up. I did. I did. That's <laughs> the students really like that one. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep it for my students. <laughs> yeah, it's very entertaining. So, t- topics. Okay. What do you? I'll go. What, what you got? I'll go. I'll go. Okay. So. <laughs> Surprise! I like to bring up controversial topics. You guys ready for a little controversial topic? It's not like insanely controversial, but there's controversy. Controversy? I don't know. Can Kyle hear? I don't think he can hear. He's back. Oh, Kyle. I'm, I'm bringing a little bit of a controversial topic to the table. Controversy here. Mm-hmm. You guys ready for it? Okay, what's the topic? So recently in the news or social media let's be honest it's not the news does anybody watch the news anymore in social media recently there's been a lot of conversation and keep in mind this is this is related to the medical field but not quite lab so bear with me there's been a lot of discussion about a recent flight where there was a doctor on board the flight and as they often do actually not that often only twice in my life one time actually just like 48 hours ago an announcement came over the pa is there a medical professional on board we have a medical emergency on the plane so i guess this fella had been hanging out at the airport lounge prior to boarding and you know he was probably in uh I guess, upgraded little situation. So he was enjoying a couple drinks on the flight. But I guess in doing so, he had shared with him or shared with the people next to him that he was, in fact, a doctor. I don't remember what type of doctor, but the type of doctor that people would assume would be able to assist in said medical emergency. And when they called over the PA, he did not get up. 
he did not assist. And the people next to him that were aware of his situation were really, really upset by his unwillingness to get up and assist. And there has been a lot of back and forth conversations about this topic on whether or not they feel he should have assisted or whether he was within his rights to have refused to assist. So I kind of want you guys to take on the situation. Why, why did he refuse? Is there a story there? Did you not hear the beginning of the story? No, I, I st stepped no, away. You did. He stepped you away. Did. So are you sure that like, he was a medical doctor that could have helped. It's not mm -hmm. like it's like a gastroenterologist surgeon or well, he could have helped. A, uh, he self admits who can diagnose cancer, but he self admits <clears throat> after the fact that he could have helped in a different circumstance. Could have helped. He had the skills, training, and knowledge to assist in a medical emergency. Yes, and he had been drinking. Yes. Oh, that's why he did it. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because even if he would have saved their life, they might have sued him. Or if something went wrong, somebody smelled alcohol, the people next to him saw him yeah. drinking. It's a tough position to be in. I do understand that, but... Did the person make it through in the end? I mean, I believe so. I don't okay. I don't know those details. A lot of the times a medical emergency in flight is often not a life or death situation. Um, more likely than not, it is usually not life threatening. Um, plus some added color to the situation. I don't know if you guys are aware, but flight attendants have a medical emergency like number that if they can't get assistance from a passenger, they can call this number and they can be guided through with the supplies that they have on board, exactly what needs to take place for them to administer care in the event that there isn't a medical professional on board that can help. Okay, so I'm gonna put my quality compliance hat on. Um, they have procedures and protocols in place. Um, so, I'd kind of understand where the doctor's coming from. Um, they're, I mean, they have a process they can follow. They have a number they could call to do the necessary things that they needed. The training the flight attendants had should have been enough to hopefully keep the person fine. So um, I, I don't fault him. Because it could have gotten messy, he could have gotten hurt, and if and then the the back and forth would be well, you know, you should have just sat there. You'd been drinking. You should have just followed the procedures we had in place. So I can see why he just he didn't want to do any. I mean, they take the oath not to do harm. So if you know you're in a con a condition where you're not at your best, where you've been drinking or something, and you're not on the clock and you're not working, then your thing is not to do harm. So if you felt he was going to do harm to somebody, then it's in his right, and it's probably good that he didn't help. Kyle, agree or disagree? <clears throat> uh, I don't know. I'm torn on the subject. I guess, you know, it sounds like this wasn't life or death. So maybe that came into play with his assessment of the situation. Now, what would you guys say if we removed the drinking component? 
He's sober. I'm going to stick with it. Um, we've had cases where, like in our freestanding EDs, where they're like demanding blood products for a patient without the pickup slip, without the process, just wanting the blood. Um, those processes are in place for a reason, because um, if th th those lab scientists were to give blood and a transfusion reaction were to happen and the patient was hurt even more, um, that is, there's a process in place for a reason. So, I mean, I'll stand by it that, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have gotten involved. That sounds heartless, so, but what no, if no, I no. did more, what if I did more harm? I think that it's interesting that you're only thinking about it from that perspective. If somebody on a plane threw an empty bag of chips on the ground, <clears throat> would we just expect that a garbage man that's on vacation would just pick it up because that's the profession that he chose? But I kind of feel like you have to, in those situations, in order to be effective, you have to take emotion out of it. Because it's easy to The guy's to get... on vacation. <clears throat> He's expected to work just because the, the career path that he chose to take happened to present itself in a situation while he's on vacation. The garbage man's not going to pick up the empty bag of chips. Why do we expect the doctor to go and tend to the patient You're kind of helping me make my argument so that... that... I know, <laughs> but I just found it really interesting that you only viewed it from, from that perspective, like from sort of a, a legal and risk standpoint. But I think that there is a human element here on both sides. Don't get me wrong. On both there sides, is a human element, but that's, human the, element. that's the trap of the dilemma that you presented to us. It's a no-win situation. I mean, if probably if the patient was or the person was at a point where... I mean, you couldn't do anything, or if you absolutely had to do something, I'm sure he would have got up and done something, but he probably was able... I, I don't know. I mean, that's, I what I was trying to, that's what I was trying to get at, is, you know, like, more context on the situation. Was it a very minor, you know, health crisis? But most of the time, and we don't know that. They, there's just a call over the PA, and what if, what if you're like, well, can you give me a little more color on the scenario before I make my decision? Like, that's usually not an option. They're at, like, attention, airplane passengers. Is there a medical doctor on board that is has a specialty in seizures? Like, no. Like, there's no nothing specific. You either get up and help or you stay in your seat. You don't know that information. That information is not usually provided to you. And then my other question is... How many of you guys, if you were traveling with friends or family members that are not in the laboratory or medical profession, would have actually looked at you and expected you to get up because they know that you work in a field of medicine? How many? I feel like I know at least like two that would have been nudging me and I'd be like, I can't help this person unless you have like an incubator auger plates in 24 to 48 hours. Like, yeah. but... What do you want me to do? You want me to swab them? <laughs> exactly. But there's also yeah, this we... like widespread oh, guess... assumption. Like everybody's like, will you look at this cut? Will you look well, at I've this? Had... Yeah, I've had pathologist friends that they have family members that look at them. Shouldn't you be doing something like, um, I, I'm a hemo pathologist. I'm looking at slides, or <laughs> I, I can do a gross assessment of uh, tissue. But yeah, no, my CPR skills are not up to to par. Yeah, yeah. I had a friend that um, 
she was at the mall and she was in scrubs because she had just gotten off work. And someone ran up to her and said, someone's having a medical emergency. Can you come help? And she's like, I can't, I'm not a nurse or a doctor. I can't help. <laughs> yeah. The first. So this has happened to me twice on a plane. The first time I was wearing scrubs and I got the evil eye like you're saying nothing. No one actually said anything to me or like gave me a nudge. But I had a lot of eyes on me, especially because I was like in the exit row. So like there's like a lot of space there where people were starting to gather in the midst of this medical emergency and all eyes were on me. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm a microbiologist. I cannot help this person. Like I can put on a Band-Aid, but I probably won't even do that well, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Yeah, I, I witnessed one too before. <clears throat> But I was surprised how many people did get up. Like, there was a line in the aisle of people, like, trying to get to the person. There was already a doctor tending to them. They were, he was like, guys, I've got this. You can go sit down. <laughs> Nobody got up on this flight. So they had to defer, not the flight, you know, that is causing this, like, social media sort of debate, but the most recent flight that I was on, like, just two days ago, nobody got up. So they did have to revert to their established protocols where they had to call somebody. Um, the thing that amazed me the most is, of course, when we landed, they were like, everybody, please stay in your seat when we get to the gate because, you know, we have to wait for emergency medical personnel to come on and get this person off, you know, blah, 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 blah. And... Uh, <laughs> I was actually sitting in row one and so I we pull up to the gate and the little ding thing the seatbelt light comes on as it does when you arrive at the gate and I turned around and I looked because I was like there's no way that an entire plane full of people are going to comply with this request there's just no way especially knowing that none of them were now truly it could have actually been that no one on the plane was a medical professional but nobody was willing to help the person if they were which in my opinion i feel is fine but the compliance with the request was actually astonishing nobody got up and normally nobody cares like when they're like hey some people have some short connections why don't you let them get up first blah 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 blah, blah. no um nobody listens but everybody actually listened until one person with a short connection did get up and then the whole plane started to get up. But initially, <laughs> everybody had to <laughs> Yeah, but once one energy. person got up, everybody was like, screw the person with the medical emergency. They're probably fine, yeah. Yeah. Man. On the same topic. I did not hear that. I... You haven't heard that? Yep. I, no. Is there a video that went with it or was it just a... No, bag? no. Um, but on, on a similar topic, um, one of the things you guys probably did hear about was the changes to the proposed edits that CMS was making to make mm -hmm. it so that a nursing degree would be sufficient to perform testing in a high-complexity lab. Now, this is something you guys probably heard about, no? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know all about it. How do we feel yeah. about that? Well, so oh, wow. they they so from my understanding, Aaron, you you probably know quite a bit about this too. They approved the degree, but they had to take additional pathways to do that. Is it the, that testing? I'm trying to. Is it that they can do high complexity but not moderate complexity testing? 
It's the other way around. Yeah, it's the other way around. Um, but it, like they it, have to do more training. It's not as simple as just like. Yeah, no, because it's like it's weird that <clears throat> like the medical laboratory technicians, the MLTs, can do high complexity, but they can't do moderate complexity testing without supervision. It's it's really kind of weird. Oh, that is weird. Yeah, that it took me a while to wrap my brain around that. Um, but and then um, to go off of that, the fact that uh, the doctorate in clinical lab science, they're recognizing it mm-hmm. as lab I feel directors. Like that's a huge win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they recognize <clears throat> it, but the fellowships don't have to recognize it. Yeah, not yet. Baby steps, Kyle. Baby yeah. steps. The people that control the reimbursement and the money, they recognize it. So. This particular topic is really near and dear to me and similar to Kyle's response about the doctor providing aid while inebriated on a flight to a potentially not severe medical emergency. (laughs) Um, So obviously, and I don't know, I I think you guys know this, but maybe it hasn't come up on this this podcast before. Um, You know, I don't have a degree in clinical laboratory science at all. And so there is a part of me that does sit on the fence about this topic, because what what degree is required to go to nursing school? Anybody? So, so it's a bachelor's. So it's a bachelor's of nursing. A bachelor's in nursing. But what if you go to nursing school like after the fact? Like, what I are think, the requirements think, to get certain, into nursing school? Probably say it's a biological science degree, because they do have fast track programs where you can do um, like an accelerated year on top of your your bachelor's, or like eighteen months or something. Do they even need that though? Don't they just need prereqs, the prereqs to do the program? But yeah, or uh, or yeah. the associates as well. Yeah. So my degree. <clears throat> Lens in biology. Lens mm-hmm. in biology. But you probably did a program, right? Uh, so I started out as a <laughs> uh, Spanish major, and then I went to music performance for a little bit on string bass. And then went to environmental biology, and then went to biology after taking a micro class. So then I finished my degree in biology and... Uh, got into a post back like a hospital program that did like a four plus one situation where you did the year after you got your degree so yeah it took, me, mean, a while, like, it took me a while to get here but when you graduated Biology. you were eligible to sit for an exam uh no so you took I the did, education route well i had to or the do, experience route i mean so i had to get my degree like i got my degree in biology and then I had to do an additional year at a hospital-based program to sit for the test. But it was a formal program. It was a formal program, yeah. That has now reopened, excitingly enough. Yeah, I think all, all <laughs> four of us have done three different pathways to get certification, but we all have certification. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is the difference that makes me put one leg onto one side of the fence but correct me if i'm wrong cms is not saying that a nurse can just walk in and work in the lab they're saying that a nursing degree is sufficient prerequisite for school or am i wrong for, for, 
Yeah, well, they're supposed to be making a pathway for them to, you know, essentially get more education to do this additional testing. Kind of in the same manner how we have our pathways to certification. Yeah, so I think I I still lean much more heavily in the direction of it was a good decision. It was a win. But I, I think a lot of that stems from, from a conversation that I actually had over Christmas. Um, and I've been sort of stewing over this. So I am going to release some of the frustration that I'm feeling by giving it to you guys because I have a feeling that you're going to feel as frustrated as I did at the time. So I am not going to mention who this person was, but it's someone close to me in my life that happens to be a nurse. And uh, we were having a conversation at Christmas. Um, I think that it's it started on the basis of how how much of a pay discrepancy there is from an entry level nurse to an entry level clinical laboratory scientist. And I asked her the simple question of true or false, the lab has an equal contribution, though a very different type of contribution, but an equal contribution to patient care as that of a nurse. Do you guys agree or disagree? I agree that equal, yes, but very different. Mm -hmm. No, I mean... Like I a majority of what they're using to, for diagnosis is diagnostic testing. So whether it's imaging or laboratory, um, it, it, we do play a huge part as a part of the uh, the care team. So um, it's just how you look at it. We just impact differently um, with the testing we're doing. It's leading them to what the next step is. Nursing. They're just taking. They're taking care of a different different aspect of the care. So I think we're all doing different aspects of the care. And when you're looking at it from the lens of I'm literally at the bedside versus in, in the laboratory or in radiology, doing the imaging or the testing that's going to lead them further down the diagnosis, it's, um, it's just kind of shifting the idea that multiple teams are part of the care team instead of... Yeah. I mean, yeah. like, the, I acknowledge wholeheartedly mm -hmm. that a nurse has to handle the shitty part of that patient care. Like, that they are right there, you know, doing the things that people who work in the lab will literally never have to do. I am not in any way downplaying that part. All I'm asking is, or saying, I guess, is... I acknowledge that if every single nurse in a hospital did not show up on a particular day, that patient care, it's not going to be stellar. It's not going to be stellar that day at all. It's probably not going to happen, right? But if the lab closed for the day, do we not agree that the impact would probably be the same? If there was no lab, no results, no nothing, that we equally contribute to patient care, albeit in wildly different ways, that there are pros and cons of, if you ask 
anyone on either side. Is that true? Yeah, I would agree that if you take away any part of the team, the outcome's not good and it falls apart. Mm -hmm. Well, this person, very straight-faced, looked me in the eye and said, no, the lab does not. The lab hardly contributes to patient care. That's unfortunate. I've been stewing over this <laughs> since it happened. Um, so. I, I would have countered that a little bit with, um, so when you're calling me for that critical or <laughs> that specimen, so it doesn't matter? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> full Are you getting bad shaped about the fact that your, your collection wasn't that great, so now I, I'm telling you it's clotted? Well, I guess that doesn't matter mm -hmm. then. So why are you getting full, so upset? Full circle back to the original conversation. We'd been drinking, uh -oh. so I just decided to drop it to drop it there. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah I probably do that too. But, I was um, like, yeah, this is a little sensitive, a little Sally sensitive situation yeah. happening here. Yeah. To your CMS thing you brought up, I kinda I, I'm okay with the fact that it's they're saying that it's not equivalent to be a lab director and they have to do additional work. Because if you give anyone additional work and they're already overworked, they're not going to mm -hmm. do the 20 extra steps to be the, the lab yeah. director when they're like, wow, I've taken four new classes and I'm already doing 12 hour shifts and I'm exhausted and we're short staffed. So it'll weed out the people that aren't serious is what you're saying. Yeah. And most nurses, when you tell them that, at least that I've talked to, they're like, I don't want to do the lab work. I like yeah, they're yeah. like, I'm tired enough. <laughs> Who I was the hell wants me to do the lab work? <laughs> they want to give me more stuff to do? <laughs> Let's so. be realistic. What what nurse wants to do more <laughs> laboratory work? I think, no, they, I think they, apparently yeah. enough that it became like a pretty hot topic of conversation. <laughs> well, I think I think they just want them to be able to do point of care testing. Is is that the general idea? But they can. Any like literally anybody can do point of care testing. <laughs> The then, patient, then, we're, we're probably only just a few years out before the patient can do it at his own bedside. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I guess the so idea what, is that if you're like in a rural area where you don't have too many lab professionals and uh, it's maybe all you do is have that nursing component there, that maybe they can do the testing to solve the workforce shortage, but it it's detrimental. Like there's not one <clears throat> in the like amongst nurses right now, like what there's just like a bunch of them sitting around doing nothing. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like with nursing, it's kind of the, oh, just have the nurse do it. Just have the nurse do it. It's kind of like a dumping ground. Okay, they can do it. True. Yeah. So I, I guess to build off of the excitement of the plane. <laughs> Planes, trains, uh, and automobiles. Automobiles, yeah. We, we all seen like Contagion and Outbreak movies where it's, spreads rapidly and people panic and um have you guys ever wondered how that whole process works like i ended up uh seeing that there was a recent outbreak of salmonella off of charcuterie boards so off the like the, the meats and the stuff or like the little fancy charcuterie boards <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes yeah. Sense. so I mean, apparently I... just to catch everyone up um Apparently, fifth, if you leave meat and so. cheese to sit out at room temperature and multiple people stick their grubby paws into it and put it in their mouth, that someone might get sick. <laughs> That's a listeria moment. Thank you. Yeah. There, there were no pregnant people harmed in this, this, this scenario. Um, but 
on these charcuterie boards. Uh, it was reported out on the 5th of January by the Minnesota Health Department. So this one company had to recall 11,000 pounds of ready-to-eat charcuterie meat products. And they were shipped throughout the country, so Georgia and Indiana and North Carolina and Oklahoma and Texas. So He says throughout the country, and he throughout mentions the a, a cluster of states that are kind of close to each other. <laughs> yes, the, the home of... Yes, so the, the question is... Um, do you guys have any memorable outbreaks? Like something that you've helped with, like the fact that the lab does play a role, or do you think we do? COVID nineteen comes to mind. Um, okay, besides the obvious global <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> Thanks, let Heather. Me, <laughs> let me Heather add. <laughs> let me make a quick comment on that. So, what yeah. you're telling me is, next time I get upgraded to first class, I should not get the charcuterie board. Do not, get the, <laughs> do not get the charcuterie. And I actually just had wine with a bunch of friends on Monday, and uh, we were snacking on a charcuterie board. So that's why I was like, hmm. In a, in a plane? Uh, I love charcuterie boards. I don't. I don't like that meat. That's, no? not, the kind of, that's not the kind of meat that I like. <laughs> <laughs> don't like some prosciutto, some salami. It's very fancy. No. Some mm -mm. nice assorted sticky cheeses. The cheese, yes. Mm -mm, not the meat. Yeah. It just like, like looks that. like you shouldn't eat it. Much less the texture. It's a problem. Yeah. Well, so I've got a couple outbreak cases I've been a Do part of. Do you have like of. a favorite or a crazy one? <laughs> there, there was a... This wasn't like a major I outbreak. this yeah. outbreak. This wasn't, this wasn't a major outbreak. This was, this was a small handful of Vibrio cholera cases that we saw. <gasps> Ooh. And you know that they were able to track it back to the same restaurant amongst this small handful of patients, and they all ate the same meal. Of course, it was raw oysters. I was gonna say. Right. <laughs> and then they tracked. They I talked to the uh, the person at the <clears throat> Department of Health. Like, what do they do? And apparently, they tracked the. I guess the oysters have lots. They tracked the lots of oysters back to where they originated and had that originating site remove those oysters from rotation. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I went to a trade show a few months ago and there was an entire session on how CDC investigates outbreaks. And it happens exactly how I pictured it, which is surprising because every time I picture something, it's always like some like wild exaggeration of like what's actually taking place. But exactly how I envisioned it seems to be pretty spot on and it's super interesting. Um, it's almost like when we get a QC failure and we have to trace back like the lot <laughs> it's similar to that but they go like there's a human element they go and like interview everybody and then in this particular scenario that they were talking about they were interviewing people and there was like one commonality and everybody they interviewed and it was meat and they're like this has got to be it we're gonna go talk to this next person it must be the meats it's gotta be the meats and then one person was like, we don't I mean, think meat. of the Arby's commercial. <laughs> it's in the meat. <laughs> so this one person was like, yeah, no, we're completely vegan household. Like no one in this home eats meat. And they had to reset their entire investigation all the way back to the beginning. And it was just 
happenstance that like all of these people had consumed the same meat and it had nothing to do it could have been the a meat. tofu but do you yeah. feel like people uh realize how much work goes into it i don't like think I so i don't think so i believe there's probably a ton of work they rescued an animal though i don't remember the type of animal but it was something where oh no it had to do with cows did you guys know that there are four i think it's four segments or quadrants in a cow's udders and all four of them are completely segmented from each other like they don't interchange so you could legitimately do an investigation tracing back like contaminated milk and it would be from like Utter A, but B, C, and D are it's, fine. It's, like, how crazy is that? Utter contamination? It is utter contamination. No. Uh. But it was something like there was a very pan-resistant, and I wish I could remember the organism now, but it was something that was very pan-resistant. But all of the milk from the other udders, they were able to recover this organism but it was completely pan-susceptible that it was only problematic when it was milk from that particular udder. So it became of like massive interest to the CDC, I guess. And so they went and like visited this cow and they did all of these studies on this cow. And after they were done, they found out the cow was going to be euthanized. And the CDC bought the cow so that it wouldn't be euthanized because they found they felt like it was like a scientific phenomenon. So they go and they buy this cow and like bring it back to Georgia so they can continue to study it. So you're saying it. in some cases it's okay to cry over spilt milk? Yeah, yeah. The CDC cried when it was appropriate. And I was like, this is the coolest story I've ever heard. See, in my head, I, I thought that the infection control measure there would have been just taping off the udder. <laughs> this udder is no longer in use. <laughs> I pictured like an out of order sign. Use like these it. first. Use these first. <laughs> Pour your some, ice cream. No, no, no. <laughs> slap a biohazard sticker on yeah, the I, I've just been kind of thinking about that. Um, yeah, CDC has like a nice little um, outbreak website, but then they also show like a, like an informative video that shows about how from when we call like an organism in the lab then it goes to the state and they do um like sequencing on it and then that's sent up to cdc to compare see if it's compares to any other ones so just the amount of time it takes before like from the point where you get sick and you're treated to when they actually pinpoint the outbreak i just uh as a lab professional i lose track of the fact that you know it, it's all those extra steps just mm -hmm. to make sure that you can uh pinpoint it down to the out of order utter and i guess this one was particularly problematic no <laughs> this one was particularly problematic because it came from unpasteurized milk and which is illegal and so like similar to i don't know if you guys know this but similar to like like little drug like situations around our country and outside of our country um you know like the mafia the mob like <laughs> yeah, keep it in the I, culture I, keep it in yeah. the culture 
so the this is like an unpasteurized milk distribution group that's like completely underground and so when people started to get sick at first they wouldn't market. reveal their source they were like no it's no i'm not mm -mm. Mm -mm. like it's not they were like, number one no like clinging to life and still they were like no i'll never reveal my source like i guess the consequences of that would have been worse than what they were experiencing but that's why the investigation just stalled because they they admitted to consuming unpasteurized milk as did everyone in the investigation for this particular outbreak but they it just lapsed for like a year or more because no one was willing to give up their like underground source for unpasteurized milk. You know, I had I had like chocolate chip cookies and milk planned out for after this, but um, I'm rethinking that a little bit. Yeah, I guess it's a pretty hot thing like up in New York, potentially. I, I believe that's the state that was referenced, um, that it was like this underground New York distribution center for unpasteurized milk and nobody was willing to give up the source and then finally somebody was like it's this place with this cow and this udder now so imagine how long that investigation took aaron you think just a standard one where people are willing to say everything they ate in the last like two weeks and now this person's like i know what the problem is but i'm not going to tell you where i got it from i, I pictured like a um a criminal lineup of cows <laughs> is it number yeah. one two three four Claire, i think it's number four <laughs> number four please step forward please step uh, forward that's more racist right there <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like a Chick-fil-A commercial of some kind, like a very elaborate chick Eat more commercial. chicken, that's all I can say. Oh, I love that. I love Chick-fil-A sauce. Oh. It is good. Yeah, I'm trying to eat healthier. So, uh, on the same subject, uh, do you guys know about the um, the Vibrio cholera story that's like the foundation for modern epidemiology in London back in the 1800s? Do you no. guys know what story I'm talking about? It sounds familiar, but why don't you give us... A rundown. The, the only reason tell, this story is even fresh in my tale, head is, is because we talked about it in class last week. Um, but Dr. Jon Snow, not to be confused with Jon Snow from Game of Thrones, was a physician that was investigating an 1854 cholera outbreak. And he knew that, or suspected that cholera was probably waterborne. And this is still around the same time where the miasma theory was still kind of running rampant. Do you guys know the miasma theory? No, I, I hope, I is hope this I'm the saying. guy that infected himself? No, no, that's the oh. H. pylori. But the miasma oh, theory right, is, right. was this theory that people got sick because of like just like bad air. That like illness was like, you know, like in the air and you had to like purify the air to, you know, prevent further illness. That's why like you, um, like... <laughs> We've you also see, come you, first full circle on that, huh? <laughs> you, you ever seen the the dot like those like old school doctor masks with the long nose? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, they would wear that because they would stick incense in these long noses, and the incense would purify the air when they would be seeing these patients because they mm -hmm. believe that these ill patients, you know, could give off bad air. They, I mean, they. <laughs> They were onto something, right? You know, you kind of look like COVID, but, you know, obviously it wasn't bad air. It was microorganisms. Okay, well, keep, what do you... keep, lead, keep leading us yeah, down yeah. that road. So what, what's, what, what do we use now, Kyle? So there was a big cholera outbreak in the Soho district. <laughs> it's ineffective, Aaron. What we use uh, now is ineffective. 
pig outbreak in the Soho district of London. Um, and he like mapped out um, all the uh, people that were sick in that area and found out that they were essentially drinking from the same water, uh, water well in that area. And so, of course, what they did is they closed off the water or that particular well. And um, lo and behold, people got healthy and, you know, didn't keep getting sick. But you want to know the one subclass of people that weren't getting sick that lived in that district? Hmm. Were the were the men that worked at the brewery there making beer? Because all they did was drink beer. They didn't drink any of the water. See, I would have so been fine too. Would have been fine too. So to be preventative, I should be drinking beer to keep myself safe from Vibrio. You should. Mm. Cheers. Here, here. <laughs> uh. But you know that that well in London, it's actually um, it's got like a plaque and everything, and it's. It's like regarded as the like modern foundation. Oh, you know, foundation of modern epidemiology. Wow. I'm surprised people haven't thrown microorganisms into said well just to make a statement. It's, <laughs> I'm not saying that cool. I want to or I'm going to. Would you make just a saying. wish on that? Would you wish on that well? Like, <gasps> what if wish people for put no, pennies no in breaks? there that were infected with things and the whole thing repeated itself as history tends to do? So, any, um, any tip? Okay, so kind of like closing out the outbreak conversation. Do you have any like uh, good tips or anything? Anything that you, anything you've learned from working the bench? Like anything that might help somebody else? Don't eat bad oysters. I liked uh, Karen's <laughs> tip about the Proteus, even though it's a very small one. I thought it was interesting. Oh, share it, share it. Yeah, explain so it to our. Anyone that's listening. So we have a colleague that has a tip for uh, cutting back on the swarming of Proteus on the plates, on the blood auger plates. Apparently what you can do is take an alcohol prep pad. I know every lab has them. And you put them on the, um, the lid of the plate and incubate it. And apparently that cuts back on the swarming of Proteus. I haven't tested it yet, but oh, I think I, I was given her. homework. I think I was given homework to do this. I was supposed to Aaron? refer back. Yeah, yeah you need to do it, man. <laughs> I'm dying to I know. I was told to do this. No, um, the only thing I've yeah used like the PEA auger plate has helped with decreasing, like getting to stuff that is swarming. It's do you okay. guys think that the PEA plate smells like roses? I don't think I've ever smelled a plate without bacteria. It does. Okay, smell it fresh and clean. No Proteus inoculated, and it smells like a bouquet of roses. Oh, because it's got rose oil in it. Yeah. Mm. Oh, look at that. If you guys need any ideas for Valentine's Day that's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> a bouquet of PEA plates. <laughs> I'm sure my wife would love that. Do I it, so. Kyle. <laughs> Remember, two dozens. She's worth it. Yeah. That's true. Uh, who, who needs Yeah. Who needs a candle I, when you got those plates? Just open a bag right there in your <laughs> living room. Just put it on one of those, you know, those candle warmer things and just let the aromas. Yeah. I got one of those for Christmas. Oh, dang. You're getting a lot of stuff for Christmas. Wow, get the light show. I had to literally take it apart to get it home because I got it in Alabama. And so I had to, like, <laughs> unscrew it and the wires that come from the base up into the top were like dangling out and I'm like, fingers crossed that this makes it home. 
Oh, and by the way, when I was going through TSA, they flagged my bag and they did all of their little like tests on the hand warmers <laughs> that you guys got me. <laughs> they were like, what is this? And I'm like, this is Detroit. I don't know why it's confusing to you that people would want to warm their hands. <laughs> like, but we don't have such things. <laughs> yeah. Um, Did they cut them open? No, they oh, just good. took their like the uh, wand. What's it called? The no, it's like looks like an alcohol prep pad, <clears throat> but they like oh, want to check it for like um, <laughs> like explosives. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Yeah. Speaking of alcohol prep pads, not hey. every lab has them, Kyle. Not every lab. I'm so sorry. Because the research lab, sort of, that I was in this past week, and you know what I'm talking about. You know which one, Kyle? Yes, yes, the yes, one yes. That you've been in, the one you've been in, too, that we go to frequently. I had to explain to them, actually, what an alcohol prep pad was when we were learning to withdraw blood from a positive blood culture bottle. They were like, alcohol prep pad? We use IPA! And they like bathe in the IPA and put it in their mouth. And I'm like, isopropyl alcohol, you spray it on things. Oh, I was thinking IPA beer, since we talked Same. about that protecting me from the Vibrio, so. Same. <clears throat> first time somebody said oh my gosh do you know that xyz state will let you buy as much ipa as you want and i was like do states restrict that and i'm thinking that they're talking about beer the whole time but no they're talking about actual large quantities of isopropyl alcohol at the store that like there are restrictions on that and i was like that's weird like you can buy ipa all you want where i live as it turns out not the beer Hey, so so what's your outbreak tip for everybody listening? My outbreak tip? Yeah, we got our IPA. <laughs> um, my outbreak tip is dude, I have just always felt that people who eat oysters are taking a risk. Cause I'm like, is that delicious enough to risk a limb or death? Like, how much do you like it? Because the risk feels a little higher than just low. <laughs> you keep going to death here. I thought you were going to go with the, with all the coughing thing. I thought you were going to go with wear a mask if you're you're sick. Be considerate, but um... oh no, like that has <laughs> been said. That has been said every seventeen seconds for four years now, and people don't listen. So that's a useless tip for for the group. Um, I I'm not saying. I'm not saying that I don't think it's true. I'm just saying, like, no one listens to that tip anyway. Nor do they listen to the oyster tip. Just a tip. Just for a second. Just for to the... see how it feels. Ouch, ouch, you're on my hair. <laughs> okay, to culture our audience, what, what, what would you, uh, how would you culture our audience? How would I culture our audience? These are really good, Aaron. <laughs> how would I culture our audience? Like, providing like... a culture tip? Oh, it's a play on words. Oh. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, so to be cultured, you should yes. probably wear a mask when you're sick. It's <laughs> a cop out. Okay. <laughs> also, carefully eat oysters yeah. and lobster. 